0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. As James said, we have been talking about life hacks, discovering the real shortcuts in life. Uh, The Oxford Dictionary defines a life hack as a strategy or technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. Now, this phrase, life hack, was first used at a technology conference uh, back in 2004 in San Diego. It was used to describe... Uh, the shortcuts that IT professionals often use to get their work done. Now, you may be familiar with the fact that the, the term hack has been used in technology for some time to describe the act of figuring out how to crack the code of a computer system and gain access to it, to hack that computer. But after this particular conference, for some reason, social media began to get a hold of this term, life hack, and it, over time, has become the term that's used to describe any code hacking shortcut to life at all. Now, if you want to find the kind of life hacks that you can uh, find online, Pinterest is a great source for life hacks. So just to give you a word on that, I know some of you have gotten into this a little bit, so Pinterest is a good source for some life hacks. But we are looking at something a little different than these kind of life hacks. We've been talking about the shortcuts that really do change life, not, not just you know shave a little tame, uh, time off of your day. And the best collection of these life hacks is found in the book of Proverbs, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. In this book, God is telling us how to crack the code of life that he himself has written and established, how to to hack life, really, how to spend less time banging our heads up against the wall and running up against dead-end alleys and wasting time uh, trying to get where we really need to be. Now, the term that God uses for life hack is wisdom. And in Proverbs 4, verse 5, we read this. It says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Now, wisdom is very different than intelligence. Intelligence measures your brain capacity. And you can uh, take an IQ test to measure your intelligence. But wisdom, it does require intelligence, but it's, it's something far deeper than just intelligence. Wisdom is measured in real life. You, you can't... Um, become wise just by studying, and you can't um, test wisdom just on a, on a paper test or a computer test. Wisdom is the ability to make the kinds of decisions over the course of a life that builds a good life. Now that requires, according to this verse, three key elements. First of all, as it says, you have to get wisdom. You, you have to learn what God says about different areas of life, so that when you come to the, the decision point to the intersection, you know what God has to say about this category of decision. You, you've gained wisdom. And, and you have to not just get wisdom, but you have to get understanding of that wisdom. It's not enough just to, to know the words or, or to have a sense of what they mean. You, you need to understand what they mean now in this particular situation. And then at the critical moment, when you're at that point of decision, you need to be very careful you don't forget the wisdom that you have learned and that you now understand. Because if you forget wisdom at the critical moment and you make the wrong decision, then it really doesn't matter what you knew. You've done something that's in opposition of wisdom. And you'll get off track with God. As it says in this verse, you'll swerve. You'll you'll probably end up in one ditch or another. Now that is a lot to learn and then a lot to remember at just the right time if you're going to be wise. Now, the good news is we have the brain capacity for wisdom. We have the ability to get wisdom and to get understanding. The biggest problem that we have is remembering it in the moment when we really have to use it. That's the struggle, is remembering it and doing it at that point of time. I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I do a project around the house, I never go to Home Depot once. I mean, I... I start out in the morning and I end up in the evening, you know, having taken several trips because I'll I'll always get back home and I'll make a list and I'll discover oh I forgot something else or oh this doesn't fit or I didn't remember I needed that tool and so I just realize that if I'm going to work on some home improvement stuff I'm just going to be taking trips to Home Depot all day because I I keep forgetting what I need now. If I, and maybe some of you are like this, if, if we can't pull off a simple home improvement project and re, without forgetting what we need, how are we going to remember something as, as deep and as complex and as important as God's wisdom? The problem that we have is, is we're forgetful. Over and over again, we, we knew the right thing to do, but at the critical moment, it, it wasn't there. We forgot, and therefore we did the opposite or something different. So how is it that we are going to become wise, given the kinds of memory lapses that we are prone to? Well, the answer in Proverbs is you need help. You need more than just your mind working on this. Your best hope is to get around wise people and position yourself over and over again to learn from them, to allow them to help you to remember the critical decisions that you need to make and what wisdom is. Proverbs 19, verse 20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. See, wisdom is, is more like a skill that we need to learn than it is a set of ideas that we need to memorize. It's kind of like learning how to, how to swim. You can read about it. You, you can learn and even memorize facts about swimming techniques and you know, different um, instructions related to swimming, but it's not, of course, until you get in the water that you're going to have the chance to really learn the skill of swimming. And the process of learning how to swim is made so much easier when there's someone there to coach you, someone who already knows how to swim, at least better than you, and is able to correct you as you're learning and to help you as you progress in the learning of how to swim. And this is exactly how it is with wisdom. It's difficult to 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 become wise on your own. We tend to have this image of a wise person kind of sitting somewhere, maybe on a hilltop, learning wisdom and just being wise. That, That is not wisdom. Wisdom is something you really need help to learn. You need to find someone who is wise, someone who's at least a step or two ahead of you so that you can learn from them. And so that's why it says, listen to advice and accept instruction. The one word that would describe this is teachable. We need to be teachable. And then it says, in the end, if you do this, in the end, you will be wise. In the end. Wisdom is not a six-week crash course that you can take. Wisdom is something that throughout the entire course of our life, we, if we're going to be wise, must be teachable. No matter how old we are, no matter how much we've learned, we must be teachable. We need to listen to advice and accept instruction. Now, why is it that we can't go it alone when it comes to wisdom? Well, the reason is because our mind has three particular challenges when it comes to our memory, the memory that we access. That's what I want to talk about this morning, the three challenges that our memory faces and then three solutions for each of these challenges. Challenge number one is this. Our memory is limited. It's limited. The way our minds store and retrieve information is very similar in some ways to how our computer does this. Now, I know we all use computers, and very few of us are that familiar with how they work, so I'm going to give you a very basic, basic, basic crash course on how computer memory works. The place where the data is stored is called the hard drive. This is what a hard drive looks. Actually, they look a little bit different now, some of them do, but this is the, kind of the way a hard drive looks. And the hard drive contains the data all of the files, all of the programs that you use on your computer. The place that holds the data that is currently being used is a different kind of memory. It's called RAM, R-A-M, and it looks kind of like this. RAM stands for Random Access Memory. Now, it's much smaller in size than the hard drive, and what it does is it retrieves the information from the hard drive that is being used right now, that's, that's being accessed, and it projects that information onto the screen. So now you are all IT experts. You understand how this works perfectly. Now, I wanted to show you this because our minds have also two areas of memory. Now, they're not as neatly defined as a computer is, but there's the part of our mind that's in storage. It's it's information, it's, it's data that we, we know, we, we've learned, maybe experiences we've had, memories we've come up with. But, but it's in storage, it's, it's not something that we're thinking about right now. And then there's the part that we're using, the part that we are thinking about right now. That, that's kind of more like RAM, that's the access memory. It's the part of our brains that we're utilizing right now, the thoughts that we're thinking right now. Now, like in a computer, the part that we are using is much smaller than all of the stuff that we know, all of the information that's in the hard drive, so to speak, of our minds. Now, when it comes to a computer, if your computer is getting slower and slower, you can upgrade the RAM on most computers. You, you can enlarge the capacity of your random access memory, but you can't with us. Our brain and its ability to, to focus on something it, it is not expandable. We can learn more facts, but we're still limited in what we can access. That's very different. A computer, well, computer sizes have kept growing. Back in 1981, in fact, Bill Gates has famously said the computer that they just came out with had 640K of RAM. I'm not going to get into all of what that means. But at that time, it was just an unbelievable amount of memory for the RAM. And so Bill Gates said confidently, I can't imagine that anyone would ever need more RAM than this. That was 1981. Well, now, for example, my computer, which is not an amazing computer, it's just kind of a normal computer, my, the RAM on my computer is now 12,500 times larger than 640K. So that's, that's how much computer memory is expanded. Unfortunately, we don't come with the upgrade option. Our RAM has been limited from the beginning. And so we really... We've got plenty of space in our brains to learn and store new information. So when it comes to wisdom, the problem is not our hard drive. We we can learn the book of Proverbs, for example. In fact, over time, we we could probably memorize the entire book. It would take time, but we have the mental capacity to do that. But what we can't do is keep all of it in the front of our mind, ready to use exactly when we need it. Our access memory is the challenge when it comes to wisdom. Now, on a computer, as I said, what is accessed from the hard drive that shows up on the screen, that's what we're using. Now for us, it's what's in the forefront of our mind that actually shows up in our life. You know, we're not a screen, but it shows up in what we say and in what we do, and it impacts the course of our life. Let me give you an example. Polls have shown for some time now that 90% of Americans believe in the existence of God. But that fact, that piece of data for most people, is left on a hard drive. It's left in storage. So God rarely, if ever, makes it to the front of their mind and therefore affects any of the choices that they're really making. He is forgotten about in the moment when they decide to speak and when they make a decision, they decide to act. Now, if you were to ask them if they believe in God, they would say, well, yes. But that fact is in the background. It's not a truth That they ever really use. So what this means is that we are fully capable of believing truth about God that has no impact on our life, that doesn't make its way into the way we do life, because it rarely, if ever, makes its way into the forefront of our mind. Now, since there's a limit to what we can bring to the forefront of our minds, what we do select to bring to the forefront of our minds determines the course of our life, and therefore we have to be very careful about what we bring to the forefront of our mind. We have to select very carefully. So the question this morning is, how can we remember God? Not just God generally, not just, oh yeah, God, but what am I supposed to what does God want me to do in this situation? And what's the piece of wisdom and advice he what's his life hack for this situation? How how can we remember God's wisdom in the moment? Well the solution for this memory problem is, we've already talked about, listen to advice. Listen to advice. Because our memory is limited, that's why it's so important for us to listen to advice. You see, the only way available to us to expand our limited access memory is to borrow from other people. That's, well, that's really what you're doing right now. You're listening to advice about God. Why, why, why do you do this? Why do we do this every Sunday? Well, it's because our, our access memory is limited, and we've spent a whole week thinking about all kinds of other things, and, and, and we have decided, and the, the history of the church has agreed, that this is what we need to do at least weekly. We need to get together and say, oh yeah, this is what's important, and this is what God thinks about this, and this is what we need to do. This is why many of you do it in growth groups, you know, in the middle of the week. You, you take what we've talked about this morning, and we've got questions on that listening guide that you, you go home, and you think through, and you answer them, and you, you come to your growth group ready to have discussions. And to, again, what we're all doing is we're bringing these thoughts to the forefront of our mind. What we're saying is, on our own, we're going to swerve. We're going to get off track. We, we need a regular reminder, and we can't do this on our own. We need advice we need input from other people because our our memory is limited in Proverbs 12 15 it says the way of a fool seems right to him but a wise man listens to advice a foolish person in other words thinks that they're smart enough to guide their life on their own that's what this is saying they look at a decision they're making and it's it's enough for them to say yeah that's a no-brainer it seems right to me and it never occurs to them, you know what, I may be missing something. There may be some important data that's way back in storage or maybe stuff I don't even have on my hard drive that would really help me make a better decision. You know, a foolish person says, you know I, I got it. I know enough. I'm smart enough. Now, these are not dumb people who are thinking this. In my experience, they are often some of the smartest people in the room. But you see, the issue is not how smart or how brilliant or what your IQ is when it comes to wisdom and building a good life. The issue is the fact that your memory is limited. And it's just very easy for all of us to to miss important and critical information as we make the decisions of life. So we all need advice. In fact, if you are often thinking about it, this is a pattern of your mind where you're often thinking about how dumb everybody else is. You know, you're regular. It's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And, nah, it was a stupid thing for someone to do. There, there's a good chance you are dumber than you know. <laughs> not in your own capacity, but because you think that it, it's enough to be wise in your own eyes. And you don't recognize, you know, your RAM has not been upgraded. You have a limited access memory. And you need the advice from other people. So the first challenge with our memories, is it's limited. The solution is we listen to advice. We seek out advice. We, it's not enough for us to come to a conclusion. We don't trust our own memory. The second memory problem we have is our memory is personal. Now, we remember best what we learn from the people that we know. Proverbs 27.9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. What is this talking about? Well, it starts out talking about some smells that, that bring joy to the heart, perfume and incense. You know, researchers have long known that smell triggers memory. You know, for me, anytime I get into a, a forest and I I smell the pines, it just immediately kind of unlocks a whole series of camping memories for me. Uh, some really good, some kind of bizarre, but just a whole series of camping memories for me as, as we were growing up in my family. That smell, I just have to smell it. And I, I'm transported back. I mean, that, those, those memories are brought from my hard drive and onto the forefront of my mind just because of a smell. And you have smells that trigger memories for you. You know, my, wife per- my wife's perfume brings me joy. That's kind of what this is talking about. My wife's perfume brings me joy. Not because I like the smell of it, I do, but that's not the real reason. It's mostly because I like the person who wears it. And we've been married for 31 years, and she's changed perfumes a few times. But whenever I smell, there, there's, there's, there's joy that brought, that's brought to my heart. It triggers the memory of that person. You see, our memory is not only triggered by smells. It's also triggered by relationships. The way, the way we are made on the inside is, is it's when there's some, some personal meaning, especially a relationship meaning attached to it. That, that triggers a lot of memory for us. Now, this can work for joy as well as sadness. You know, deep relational pain, boy, it, it just doesn't take much for that to trigger and bring to the forefront of our mind and overwhelm us with sadness. Just like a good relationship can bring all kinds of joy to the forefront of our mind. So our memory is triggered by relationships. You know, every year... I have absolutely no problem remembering these three dates: March 16th, January 6th, and May 2nd. Now, to you, these are probably just random dates. You're thinking, "What happens on those dates?" Some of you may be ahead of me. Well, that's because March 16th is when my wife and I were married 31 years ago, and the next two dates, January 6th and May 2nd, is when our two children were born. I just—I don't ever forget those dates. Why? Because of the people. They they trigger that memory. You know, when I look back on my college experience, I remember my friendships in college much more than I do my classes. You know, I go through classes and I'm thinking, did I take that class? (laughs) How did I do I don't know. But I remember my good friendships. That's just the way our memory works. If you're trying to retrieve a piece of data and it's not attached to a relationship, well, good luck. You're, you can do it, but it's, it's going to be hard. You, you need a trigger. You need something that brings it to the forefront of your mind. So if God is ever going to become a regular facet in the forefront of our minds, we need to form the kind of friendships with people who will help us remember his truth. We need relationship triggers about God and his wisdom. You see, you can learn truth about God independently. Your mind is capable of doing that, and it's, it can be very helpful. But if you learn that exact same truth from someone you know, particularly around a, a situation in life that you learned it, or if it's reversed, something that you shared with someone, particularly around a situation in life, you're going to be able to recall that truth, that piece of wisdom, much more easily. That's why the earnest counsel of one's friend is like perfume. It's a memory trigger that will help you bring God to the forefront of your mind more often and more easily. So the solution for this memory fact, because our memory is personal, we need to seek honest counsel. Now The word that's actually used in this proverb is earnest counsel. Well, earnest means coming from the heart of a person. We don't need, just need information, advice from people in general, online advice. No, what, what, what's most helpful for us is if this truth, if this wisdom, if this information can flow over the conduit of someone who really cares about us, who, who is honest, whose heart is really invested in us. They really care about you. So the counsel that they give you comes from a desire to, to help and benefit you. You know, this, this is your life we're talking about here. This is your decision, whatever it is. And if you're going to ask for input, it's really helpful to know that you're talking to someone who isn't just going to tell you whatever you want to hear or isn't just going to give advice that they have no real experience about, kind of like, well, I don't know, try this, like you're some kind of guinea pig, let's see how that works in your life. No, no, you want, you want the input given from someone who really cares about you. They want you to succeed. So do you have that kind of friend? Well, if you don't, if no name comes to mind, don't don't feel bad about it. Friends are, they they take time to build. So start putting in the work required to develop these kinds of friends. And as you do it, let me just give you three little quick pieces of advice as you're building these kinds of friendships that will deliver honest, earnest counsel. First of all, I would recommend you choose wisely. Oftentimes, we just choose friends based on, "That person's kind of fun." Now, that that's okay, and that's often part of it. But you want to look for someone who's actually seeking God's wisdom if you want to become wise. And you you want to look for someone that that that's serious about this. And there's evidence in their life. You're not going to find anyone that's perfect, but you're gonna you want to find someone that's that's well, they're like you. They they want to become wise. So choose wisely and then invest consistently. You know, friendship just takes time. And because we live in a, a more transient culture, sometimes friends move away and, or things happen and, and you find yourself, I often find myself, say, you know what, I got I to gotta rebuild friendships again. Just because you've had some good friends doesn't mean that's going to stay consistent. It's, it's just a continual effort. Now you can sit at home and pout and wait for friends to come show up and you'll be sitting there your whole life. You just, you just need to make the investments. You take the initiative, figure out ways to help them, serve them, build friendships. And then, in the context of those friendships, ask for counsel. You know, it's amazing to me how many decisions we make without asking for any counsel. Now we come to big decisions, and even some smaller-seeming decisions, but that really affect the course of our life, and we just go with our gut. We don't, we don't ask for counsel. You know, I've spent a lot of time reading and studying the Bible uh, and the wisdom in the Bible. But I just have to be honest with you. What I remember most is what I've learned over the years from friends, particularly in the middle of challenges, the challenges of real life. Now, I'll tell you something honestly. Sometimes I have a hard time remembering what I even said the Sunday before. Now, hopefully you do better at this than me, but sometimes you'll come up to me and say, remember what you said last Sunday? I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, got it, right. That's what we were talking about last Sunday. Now, this is good and this is helpful, but it's in the context of friendships that you're going to get some memory triggers that you'll be able to use, because I promise you, in the, in the key moment of decision, you're not going to be thinking, did Bevan ever do a sermon on this? Now, I'd like to think you think that, but I know you don't. Nobody does. It's going to be what you learned, particularly in the context of friendships, that's going to come to mind at that point. We're not like computers that retrieve data on command. Our retrieval is personal. It's triggered in large part by the people that we've led into our heart and what they have said to us and what we have said to them. That's what we access. So we can't just command our mind to remember God. We, we have to build personal memories of God's wisdom if we're going to remember it. And that brings us then to the third fact about our memory is our memory is active. Our memory is active. You know, Just because something makes it to the forefront of our mind doesn't mean that it's going to stay there. That's because our, our minds are very active. Thoughts are constantly coming and going all the time. Some of you have come and gone many times during this talk. You've been somewhere else, and then you've returned. Then you've left somewhere else, and now you're back again. Because I'm talking to you, and you're afraid I'm going to point you out. I won't, but I know. <laughs> you've, been, you've been visiting other places, and you've been visiting here some. Your minds are just active. You're coming and going. Now, the RAM on a computer, I don't know if you knew this, but whenever a computer is turned off when the power is down, everything that, every piece of, every bit of memory that was on the RAM disappears. It's gone. Now, our, our minds never turn off, but thoughts are constantly disappearing from it. We are constantly selecting new thoughts and bringing them to the front. And here's the thing about our, our random access memory. is when a new thought arrives, the old thought is forced out. Now, There's, there's research that's been done on multitasking, and it, it discovers that when people multitask, they don't really multitask. They move from this, and then they do this, and then they do this. They can't do three or four things at once. They just keep bumping from three to four things. But they have to f- think of one thing at a time. So if something, new thought comes in your mind, the old one gets kicked out. So thoughts are constantly coming and going. When a new thought arrives, the old one leaves. So memory is not a function for us of what we'd like to think about, but what we do, in fact, think about repeatedly. And this is, this is just the way our active memory works. We think about something repeatedly and what tends to happen happen is patterns form in our mind. You know, if you think about something once, it doesn't really change you. But if you keep bringing that to your mind and you think about that again and again and again and again and you do that enough, that thought becomes a pattern. It becomes more easily accessed. It's the patterns of our mind. In Proverbs 5 An analysis is given near the end of a person's life, a person who was spent ignoring God's wisdom. And here's what it says in Proverbs 5, verses 11 through 14. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Now, these verses cause me personally to shudder. I do not want this to be true of me. I don't want this to be true of you. And this is a warning. This individual is groaning. This is not just a groaning from physical pain. This is a a deep groaning that comes out of the center of a person, the soul of a person. It's the sound of a person who is mourning at the end of a wasted life. There's nothing like that grief. And they have spent their days probably doing whatever came into their mind at the moment. And now their days are almost gone. And as it says, they have come to the brink of utter ruin. What that means is they're, they're on the edge. They're on the edge of the cliff. They're on the brink. They're maybe one day from death, maybe one year from death, maybe a handful of years from death. They're, 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 they're on the edge of coming to the end of their life having ruined it, wasted it. And all of this, to make it worse, all of this is happening in the midst of the whole assembly. What's the assembly? Well, speaking of the assembly of God's people. So did did God's people all gather around this individual who has wasted their life so that they could sit there and shake their heads and shame them? Well, that's not what this is talking about. What's going on right now is this person Is evaluating their life. They're they're kind of doing a post mortem on their life just before they die, which is what people near the end tend to do. And this person is recalling all of the godly people, the assembly of people who have come and gone from their lives, and they are now wishing that they had just listened to them. They're remembering statements that were made, they're remembering individuals that they dismissed that they could have learned a lot from, godly people. And so what's the post-mortem analysis of this ruined life? What's their perspective? Well, he says, how I hated discipline. I hated discipline. That's why I'm here. The word discipline means instruction that has a corrective edge to it. That's why it goes on to say, I spurned correction. I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. You see, this is where being teachable really gains traction. You know, listening to advice like we talked about at the beginning, that doesn't mean you're going to actually do it. Seeking honest counsel doesn't mean you're going to follow it. But discipline, well, that's something different. Because discipline submits itself to a structured training that makes demands on your life. See, if wisdom was evaluated on a written test, we could cram for it. You know, you could wait until the end of your life and spend five years and just cram on Proverbs and, and, and maybe do well on the test if God was going to test you on the book of Proverbs. But that's not what wisdom is. Since wisdom shows up in real life, like the need to swim does, we need to do what athletes do and submit to the discipline of training. This is what will build wise patterns into our active memory. How, how, do, you know, how do you know if you're being disciplined about God and his wisdom? Well, you'll know because there are teachers in your life. There are instructors in your life that you are learning under. Not just classes you're attending. These are people you've invited to speak into your life. Like a coach. They can actually correct you. And you will actually adjust according to their corrections. Now, we'll do that with the gym if we're trying to get into shape. We'll do that in athletics if we're, trying, if we're serious about improving in whatever sport it is. But very, very few people are willing to take God that seriously, to be disciplined about this, to submit to any kind of instruction or correction or teaching. So let me ask another question, and this is just for you. Who is your coach in the ways of God? Your coach, someone that knows you and knows God's ways, and actually can speak correction, can say, no, 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 that's not how you, this, this is, and, you, and you'll make it, oh, thank you, and you'll make adjustments. Who's your coach? Now, if no name comes to mind, or it's been a long time since you were corrected, it just could be that, like almost everybody, you hate discipline. You hate it. So the solution to this is become a Disciple. Become a disciple. Now, this is the phrase that Jesus used to describe what it meant to believe in him and follow him. You know, the root of the word disciple is the same as the root of the word discipline. This is what he told his disciples, his disciplined ones. Go and make more disciplined ones of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to test well on everything I've said. No, To obey. Everything I've commanded you. So how do you do this now? Well, you find a church. And you submit yourself to the training program there. And I'll promise you, whatever church it is, it will require you to sacrifice some time. It will not be convenient. No discipline is. You know, if you're going to be a disciplined athlete, it's never convenient. It'll, it'll make demands on you. It'll make demands on your family. But that's, that's the nature of discipline. And we submit to it. Why? Because we just, we love discipline? No. It's because we want the fruit of discipline. You know, if Seabreeze is the church that God wants you to be a part of, then start serving here. Join one of the growth groups the next cycle that comes around. That's the entry training here at Seabreeze. And as you do that for a period of time, you will be invited into other forms of training. And it may not be a good time for you, But if it's never a good time for you, well, I promise you, your wisdom is not going to grow. We cannot be wise on our own. We need the help of others. We must be teachable. Why? Well, it's because our memory is limited. So we need to listen to advice. And because our memory is personal, we need to seek honest counsel from people that know us and we know them. Not just online advice. Not just audio relationships and our memory is active so we need to submit to the discipline of discipleship now we're going to wrap up today uh, with a memory trigger that jesus gave us to remember him this is this is how it came to be we read about this in 1 corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 26 and this is what it says the lord jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this what? In remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, for those of us who have become convinced of the evidence that Jesus really is God in flesh, he is the only hope this world has, He is the only chance we have of making our relationship with God right. The only one who can forgive our sins. For us, well, the death of Jesus as the just payment for our sin, it's the center event of all of history and all of eternity. But you know what's crazy? We forget that. Uh, It's in storage. And if anyone were to ask us, oh, no, no, I know, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. We know that. But in the moment, we forget it we get overwhelmed with fear we get overwhelmed with the stress of our life and and we just forget you know what this is small potatoes the god of the universe took on a body and died in my place i'm good we just forget that the joy and the power that is possible because of that memory is left in storage and jesus knew that would be the way it was he he knew our minds so he just gave us this as one memory trigger and says hey Do this in remembrance of me. Then it goes on to give us just a little instruction about this. The next few verses in 1 Corinthians 27-29 through says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks the judgment on himself. What's an unworthy manner? Well, this act of communion that we're about to partake in is a reminder of your commitment to follow Jesus Christ. That's why this is only for those of us who have decided to follow Christ. If you're here today and you're just kind of investigating and checking this out, we're so glad you're here. We, we try to explain things in a way that would help you come to a, a decision about these matters. But this is not for you. We're not going to embarrass you just when the ushers pass these different elements that just Just don't take one. Just let it go. No one's going to turn and say, just let it pass. And then for those of you who have made a decision to follow Jesus, if, if your steps have taken you off course, then confess and take the steps to get back on course. Because what this is saying is that if we proclaim the Lord's death, but we don't actually move from words to deeds, we are mocking him. We are saying, thanks for taking out a body, and dying a torturous death on my behalf, but I'm going to continue to do life however I want to do it. And that that mocks his sacrifice. And so if, if that's where you're at, honestly, then, then don't partake. But if none of us are perfect, and if your intention is to continue to follow Jesus, then join us in this. So I want to invite the ushers to come forward and distribute the bread and the juice. It's all in in one package, so just go ahead and hold on to this, and I'm going to lead us to partake in this uh, together. And what we're going to do is, to get us ready to take this in, an unworthy, or in a worthy manner, rather, we're going to just take a few moments uh, in silence, in just a moment, to examine our hearts and to do business with God. And this is just between you and God. And I want you to ask God to bring to the forefront of your mind whatever needs to be addressed, whatever is off track, If it's a relationship that needs to be cleared up and there's a move that you need to make in that, then purpose in your heart to do that on your first opportunity. If it's a sin that you need to confess, then confess that sin and know that that sin is forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we're going to remember here in just a moment. So we're going to, once you get this element, then just take a moment in silence and then I'm going to wrap us up in prayer and then lead us uh, partaking of the A little piece of bread and then the juice together in remembrance of him. So go ahead and pray silently now. Jesus you know our hearts better than we do and you have brought to our minds issues that we need to address and we have confessed those to you and we have purposed to to not just declare our intentions but to take action on these matters you know better than we do that we are far from perfect and that's why as we remember your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us We are so grateful because you are the only hope that we have for forgiveness and a future with you. So we now do this in remembrance of you. Go ahead and take the the first little piece of cellophane here and pull it back and get the little piece of bread out. This is what Jesus said on that night that he was betrayed. He said, this is my body broken piece of bread. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this together in remembrance of what Jesus did. Now peel back the next layer. Get at the juice. At the end of that Passover meal on the eve that Jesus was to be arrested would lead to his crucifixion in a matter of hours. He stood up and he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood, the new agreement between me and you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink this together. Jesus, we are so grateful for your sacrifice on our behalf. And we admit that too often this epicenter of all events is left in storage in our minds and we march into our days discouraged about something angry about something stressed about something and we forget that our future has been secured our sins have been forgiven and we have the amazing privilege now to be a part of your body doing doing your work here on earth can be no greater privilege. And this morning we have eaten these little pieces of bread and taken little sips of juice to remind us of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for us. May this be a continual reminder through this week. We pray these things now in your name. Amen.